Hello, and welcome to Fighting Over the VCR. My name is Nancy. And my name is Matthew. And this week, we are going to the 60s. Uh, Matt and I talk about movies that we watched growing up together, and sometimes a little later that we watched, you know, watched them when we were a little older. And this week, I'm going to be talking about The Graduate, and Matt's going to get us started with a conversation about The Doors. The Doors. The Doors of Perception. (laughs) So The Doors as a movie is a kind of dramatized biopic of the band The Doors and focuses a lot on the band's lead singer Jim Morrison, played by Val Kilmer. The movie came out in 1991 and was directed by the very stylish, very much likes to do period pieces of the around the late 60s and early 70s. um, Oliver Stone, Mm -hmm. known for movies such as Platoon, probably that's probably the the most famous movie of his. And then the best. um, But then uh, but he also did Born the Fourth of July, JFK, um, Natural Born Killers, Nixon, right? Nixon, but he also did, but then he also did some more creative work with Natural Born Killers, and um, I think the other one is uh, Two Days, and it's the one with Sean Penn. Um, it's kind of interesting. Nancy and I saw this movie in the theater mm-hmm. together. Mm-hmm. I was eleven, and this is a R-rated movie, mm-hmm. and. When this came out, I don't think we thought it was going to be like what it was, but I had my older sister with me, so, hey, let's... You know, I had my older sister with me, so, hey, let's go and see this movie. And I didn't and have at to the t- argue with anybody to let us get into this. No, I, we, went, we went during the day. Yeah, I think the two, It was like, it was, it was during the day, and we just, like, walked down there. And, I thought Mom um, dropped us off. Uh, yeah, she probably did. But either way, yeah, we had no problem getting in. Yeah. This is one of those movies where I remember, like, when it was over, thinking to myself, whoa, maybe, maybe I, was I supposed to be watching this movie? <laughs> <laughs> and, and the reason for that isn't necessarily that it's, there's like, it's really graphic, but it's pretty graphic. Yeah. And, and most of it is drug use and nudity. Yeah. And you know what? It's just, it's all natural. Really? Come on. You know, what's the big deal? But, you know, when you're 11 and you see this, and I had seen a lot of this stuff already because I had cable and Mm -hmm. whatnot. But I remember, this is a movie where, like, walking out of it, I was just like, was I supposed to see this in the theater? (laughs) But, um, But I loved it. I thought that, and I think that, um, at the time, Nancy and I were already familiar with the band The Doors and their music. Just getting into we, it, I think. And and we were fans. So, and one of the things about the style that is used, um, the directing style and the editing style of this movie is, it because there's so much music in it. I mean, like from beginning to end, there is music, and and probably ninety five percent of it is the Doors, mm-hmm. and then there's a couple other songs for a couple other scenes that are not the Doors, but um, it really kind of plays out almost like a music video, mm-hmm. 
in some ways yeah. because there's like um, anyone who is familiar with the Doors knows that their lead singer Jim Morrison was um, he was a poet, he was an alcoholic, he was drunk, he was a drug user. He liked to experiment and expand his mind and and really kind of escape, which is I think the th- yeah. one of the themes that we'll be talking about yeah. um, with throughout this episode. And um, so they do a lot of kind of like trippy psychedelic things in this movie that um, visually kind of make it really interesting. Like they'll do like a lot of double exposure when he's dancing and they'll have like um, Native Americans were a huge theme of his of in his uh, writing and his life. So you'll have like Native Americans dancing, like doing like a rain dance kind of thing. Um, around him and like superimposed on the stage and like lots of different kind of stuff. So it's kind of, it's fun visually. Mm -hmm. And that's why I say it kind of plays out like a music video because there's so many, there's a lot of live performance reenact, you know, reenactments and stuff in the studio, um, stuff in the studio. So there's lots of music playing. Um, So I've always kind of liked this movie. And then um, when I met my wife, she loves the doors. So her and I had this joint bond of like, Oh, you like this movie. And uh, when we rewatched it, she was telling me like, this was a movie that she would just kind of put on and like her friends would be like the doors again. And it's like, it's so long. And it's like, but it's, 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 it's a fun, great movie. And it has a lot of different things going for it. As far as if you like the music of the doors, it's got a ton of it. Yeah. But probably the biggest standout aspect of it is Val Kilmer's performance as Jim Morrison. Yes. The lead singer. I mean, he, in my research, he learned all the lyrics that Jim had written for every song before he auditioned because he wanted this part so bad. And he actually sings in a lot of the movie when whenever there's an up close shot of him singing or whenever there is a um them practicing or anything like that that is him singing whereas anything that's far away is a tape of the original performance but i say it's kind of dramatized because it is based on a book written by the drummer john mm. and he and the guitarist bobby krieger did participate in in some of the movie, but Ray Manzarek, the um, the keyboard uh, slash piano player in the band, he does not he, or he did not really care for this movie. He says mm-hmm. that it is not an accurate portrayal of the history or the band. So, kind is it of like when most we wa- of the band is kind of cut out, and it really should be called the Doors, the Jim Morrison story. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's no doubt that. Jim was going was always the main probably focus of the band. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of marketing materials yeah. where it's Jim. I mean, there's yeah. a whole album called Morrison Hotel. I mean, there's he's definitely a huge part of the band and was like the main focus as far as the media is and everything is concerned. And who knows, maybe he, I, I haven't read or done a lot of research on the lives of the other three members, um, but he might have just also been the one that tells the most compelling story. Maybe the yeah. other lives are not as interesting. I don't know. I mean, it looks like um, towards by the end of the movie, like Ray had fully settled in as like was a family man. 
you know, married yeah, and yeah. had at least one kid, probably another one down <clears> the road. Um, I don't know about the marital status of the other two band members, but they, I think they probably yeah. had girlfriends at one point or another. But we really yeah, don't get yeah. any sense of what their personal lives are. The only no, point of this reference movie... we only know about their relationship to Jim Morrison and the band. That's it. We don't know anything else about them. And 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 we kind of get like a like for example, um, we know that Ray, who is portrayed amazingly by Kyle MacLachlan, yep. who I love from Twin Peaks and Blue Velvet and a number of other things. We do know that they met at UCLA mm-hmm. um, in 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 doing film school stuff and. Jim was a college dropout. He, you know, was at UCLA film school and he just kind of left. He, you know, as it's portrayed in the movie and he hooks up with Ray later and he's like, hey, what have you been doing? Oh, I've been writing some poetry and some songs, blah, blah. And then they he's like, that's how they kind of start their band. And then all of a sudden they're practicing and John and Bobby and Robbie are there. And you're just like, who are these guys? How they get here? And. Yeah. We don't know if they were friends, what their connection was. They just don't really portray that in the movie. Yeah, the way it's portrayed for sure is that Jim and Ray are like the founders. Like, it's their right. idea together. And yeah. The other two come along. You know, like I said, this movie is probably the biggest standout movie for of Val Kilmer's career, in my opinion. Primarily because he is on screen, you know, ninety nine percent of the movie, and his performance of Jim Morrison. If you see, have ever seen documentary footage of Jim Morrison, and then you watch this, you're like, "Wow, he's yeah. really kind of nailing this." And that's what I'm kind of hoping is like, as far as his performance, like that's where John and Robbie kind of really helped clue in you know to be like yeah this is very authentic to how he was he's acting Mm -hmm. but there's another main character in this that i have not the best feelings about and that is jim's um girlfriend pam jim and pam Jim and Pam, like the office. not like the office, but not like the office. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? Uh, Jim from the office never like jumped up and down on a totally burnt duck and they never pulled. Knives no, each other. you can't. You murdered my duck. But um, Dude. from what I have, un- from what I understand of Pam, I'm really, really hoping that the Pam in this movie is not a very accurate portrayal (laughs) because Pam is played by who was kind of a hot actress at the time, Mm -hmm. Meg Ryan. And she almost ruins this entire movie for me because I cannot stand Meg Ryan playing this part. I mean, if you've seen What Harry Met Sally and you know, and the kind of wispy flightiness that she kind of kind of has and when Harry met Sally it's like the same character with a red with a red wig on and I just don't buy it and and I wrote in my notes like while we were watching this like at one point Pam confronts Jim about all the women that 
you know, he's that he is with. And I just I literally said out loud, that's because you suck, Pam, (laughs) because I just could not stand her in this movie. Well, the the scene when they're walking back carrying the groceries and this is later in the movie. And she's like, you said you weren't going to drink today. And then he finally admits, well, I took some acid. And she's like, "Ah, Jim. You know, like, she kind of gets mad at him. And, like, her her exasperation at him was exactly, like... It was Sally. When Harry Sally. Sally. I was like, oh, man, this is just like Sally. Like, exactly. I didn't mind her in other parts of the movie. But that part in particular felt like she was pulling so much from her like rom-com chops and it's like well eh. well in the way that they they tell the story like he sees like the way the story of how they get together it's like he sees her walking on the street he's infatuated by her he follows her home he sees where she lives he breaks into her to her place and then he no, walks no, no, no. into he climbs sneaks a, he, into he climbs up a he tree he climbs a tree and then jumps on the balcony and then kisses her and is like and she's just like wow you should see my old man and she's with another dude right and then at one point he just climbs into her bedroom while she's sleeping in bed with the guy that she's with That's and so coerces him and coerces her to like go on a walk and they have this great time and that's how they meet kind of thing. Oh, and and I'm sitting here like what the fuck is going on? And and the way it's and the way she portrays it it just makes it seem like she's just like under his spell. There's nothing and there's nothing there. There's no substance there. Like there's nothing that she gives Jim in this relationship other than being like, I think it's hot. I think it's great. You're the greatest poet ever. Everything you write is beautiful. And like all of that just seems so pointless. I mean, Mulder agrees with me. You can hear him in the background. (laughs) And all of that just seems so pointless and it 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 just kind of it it goes nowhere and i and by the end of the movie i'm like supposed to believe that they were in love this whole time i just i just don't buy it so i guess what i'm (laughs) what i'm getting at is the relationship part of jim's life which supposedly was supposed to be you know like this huge part of it is not that it 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 is not portrayed well would you would you have preferred he stay with the witch Almost, yeah. The one he, the one he was married, he was kind of married to, yeah. I was stoned. <laughs> it's forever. Well, it doesn't end when we die. It only ends. It ends the when the love died. is gone. <laughs> yeah. I was stoned. I thought it'd be fun. Oh my god. Um. Okay. So. Well, Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Well, well I, I was just... The thing I was going to say is... And this is probably besides the time period and being in Los Angeles and all of that. The other thing that would join these two movies together is both of them... You know, when you first start this movie, both characters are about the same age. And they're kind of lost. And that is what a lot of this movie is of watching Jim Morrison of the way it's portrayed in the movie is kind of like he's he's like along for this ride. Like I get drunk. 
I'm I love fame. I'm getting on stage and hooking up and I can hook up with people and I'm just kind of along with the for the ride. And um I know it sounds like I don't like this movie, but yeah, it's fine but, to be critical about a movie that you really like. There's nothing wrong. That's what we do. We're talking about things. I mean, I've done this plenty of times to movies that I've liked. It's just, we're but there trying, are definitely things about, about this it. movie that well, there are definitely things about this movie that um, I think I think my biggest I think the Pam situation is my biggest beef. My okay. my only other beef with the movie would be that. A lot of the movie, John, the drummer, is basically seen, who's played by Kevin Dillon, is basically seen almost as if, like, he can't stand Jim. Mm -hmm. And then at the very end of the movie, he's just like, I'm going to really miss playing with you, man. I mean, those times on stage were magical. And it's just like, dude, every time before a concert, you were like, what the fuck are you doing, Jim? (laughs) I mean, so that was the only other thing that really kind of bothered me. Um. So I think like I think when we'd seen this movie, we were probably we'd probably been listening to you and I because you and I really discovered the Doors I think at the same time. Um, yeah, I had a I had a greatest hits cassette. Yeah. that I wore out. Yeah, I wore it out. I think I think I did too. And then I I think I had double, I had one of his the double greatest hits CDs, and I think the, the picture yeah. of him with the shirtless picture and his arms out is that the cover. Yeah. Um, but I think and we and, and I. I had one of I think I had like one or two of his poetry books at one point too. Mm, okay. That I was like way over my head with but whatever. <laughs> so I think when we saw this movie because because we were kind of early in our doors journey, you know, like really loving the doors cuz they they were amazing. I mean to like 11, 12, 13 year olds. I mean, they're they're really interesting. And and you and I, let's admit it, like we both like music from the 60s. I think we always have. Um, yeah. We always had it in the house growing up. I don't think yeah. our parents really had anything of the door specifically, but we both got it like on our own. Well, and just because they would listen to I mean, if you listen to the local classic rock mm-hmm. radio stations we would get exposed to that mm-hmm. and then you know like when lost boys came out there yeah. was the cover of people are strange so i mean we got a little exposure there and um i think just from a like there was other pop culture things that we had known about yeah. i mean so I living think- living in the bay living in the bay area where like the hippie culture mm-hmm. was prominent, you know, you'd see visuals of the doors and stuff like that growing up too. Mm-hmm. So, so I think when this movie came out, it was like, we, we were still, you know, in a really kind of early discovery, exciting excitement phase with like, Oh my God, who are the doors? So this movie comes out and it's like, wow. I think we both were like you said, like, wow, should we have seen that? I don't think I probably thought that, but I, but I think we both were like, this, there's so much to this guy. I'm going to tell you, watching this movie all these years later, because I don't think I've seen it maybe more... I've probably seen it twice since we saw it in the theater, but I don't think I've seen it probably... This is probably, like, my fourth viewing ever. Uh, I've and, definitely seen it more times than that. Yeah. <laughs> His drug use bothers me. Like, I know this is what he did, but I've watched several movies. I, I'm, a, I'm a big biopic person, and I'm fine with watching you know, people kind of have, like, drug problems. Like, you know, I was thinking it was... I was kind of comparing it to, um, like, Walk the Line or Ray. Like, what is it like watching musicians Mm. that have drug problems or substance problems? But 
with those movies, <laughs> these people, those people kind of have a recovery period or like some kind of like bottoming out and then seeing the other side. Yeah. Jim Morrison <clears throat> doesn't have any of that. And honestly, so much of the way the movie's portrayed, let's just kind of keep couching it that way. He was never really given any consequences for his drug use. So it never changed who he was. Like his, his performances just got more and more out of control. He got arrested how many times? Like eventually, you know, he had a court case for obscenity on the screen. Like he just kept pushing it further and further and further. And watching that now, like at my age, it's like, you know, it just like for as much as I enjoy the doors, I think if I, if I had followed them back then, I would have gotten tired of that behavior as a fan. You know what I mean? Like, so no, no, so I watching totally the movie now, I mean, especially since it's two hours and 20 minutes, it's like, okay, like he's super drunk again. He's super hostile again. He's treating yeah. everyone like shit. He's throwing stuff around and breaking windows in the studio. Like, Okay, like, where's the redemption arc? Oh, there isn't one. He dies in a bathtub. No. Um, yeah. And he's he freaking shoves Pam in a closet and lights it on fire. I mean, there's there's horrible... Well, that's not, it's not at the end. No, 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 it happens. That's, that's it's, early it's towards, on. Yeah. It's not early on. It's towards late. It's later in the movie. It's like in the third it's act. It's like halfway through the movie. I can't remember if it's before or after the Thanksgiving fiasco, but... Um, this movie makes me uncomfortable and not in a good way. Cause it's not like, I feel like I'm learning anything. Like I'm watching yeah. him just be this unhinged addict. drug addict. Mm-hmm. I'm not seeing, I'm not as, I don't look at him as he's just inspired and he needs the drugs to help him be inspired. I don't really see it that way anymore. It just, to me now it's kind of like, eh, you know, it's, it's rough, but, but again, you and I, I think, we love movies set in California that end up, especially if they end up in the Bay Area. I think we both love this time period. Um, we love the music. Yeah. So, like, just kind of, like, the basic elements of this movie are amazing. And Jim Morrison is a very interesting character. And Val Kilmer completely nails it. Like, he is so yeah. perfect. In fact, I was even texting with Sherry earlier saying, I wish Val Kilmer, after doing this role, like, had just grown his hair out and, like, dyed it brown and made it wavy just to look like Jim Morrison in day-to-day life all the time. Like, how wild would that have been? Yeah. But um, I, I understand what your problem is with Meg Ryan in this movie. Like I said, I like, the scene, she starts to throw a fit, like, oh, like, why'd you do that, Jim? Like, I, I get, like, she's doing a rom-com bit, and it's kind of like, eh. Um, but... I'll tell you, my favorite scene is early in the movie when he walks, climbs up the tree and jumps on her balcony and says, you're the one. Like, it felt very romantic to me, even though she yeah, isn't like doesn't seem like she was maybe the right casting choice. Um, I, I thought that was like, oh, OK, because so much of his spiraling later on in the movie, it just gets kind of tedious for me. So but yeah. I'm glad I rewatched it. I'm not upset that I rewatched it. Um, and again, I could listen to music by the doors all day long. So I, I would say that you're I agree with you that you don't get like that redemption factor. But I think the movie ends kind of in a way where he is he's not he is hitting rock bottom like there's this whole scene where that i think is great where it's before 
it's like right after he gets arrested and he goes to the court date and he finds out that the witch is pregnant and he's mm-hmm. like, I'll, and they have that whole confrontation about, you know, I would, and he says like, I was stoned. I thought it'd be fun. But then there's, then there, the, the next scene is he's sitting in an office with the band and the, your manager and other like record label people. And they're like, people think you're a joke, blah, 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 blah. And they're like totally criticizing. And he just sits there and he's just like, I think I'm having a nervous breakdown. Yeah. You know, and and that's when he really kind of bottoms out in the movie. And then after that, the next thing we see is um, the scene after the uh, where the scene when they go to um, Ray's house for their Ray's daughter's birthday party. Mm-hmm. And he's like drunk off his ass, but he's there and he's telling them how he's going to move to Paris, which is where he eventually died. Yeah. Um. And that's like the most, almost the most normal you see him, mm-hmm. you know, as he's kind of talking to them and everything. Um, so I, I, I agree that, that that whole kind of aspect of it is very kind of hard to watch. Mm-hmm. But that is how his I mean, that's kind of how the life was. I mean, as it's portrayed, I mean. That's the kind of thing about whenever you're doing like even walk the line, you know, as great as that movie is and how much people love that movie, you know, there's liberties taken with that story. You know, I mean, movie (laughs) uh, movie studios need to sell tickets. So so there's a lot of stuff that you and you don't have, you know, 10 hours to make this movie. You have you have two hours and 20 minutes to make this movie. And I will say, it, um, did you watch this on our voodoo? Yes. We have like the extended edition of this. So there were scenes that were made longer, like particularly like some of the concert footage and mm. like the naked people dancing. And mm. like, like when they go to San Francisco and they have that whole montage and like, of like all the hippies in golden yeah. gate park kind of thing. I don't remember that from the original movie. I remember, I I don't, I remember it being like very short Mm -hmm. and then, but like stuff like that was extended. And I think the, the probably one of my favorite scenes, which is just kind of a cool scene when they were young, like an early band, when they go to the desert and take peyote and they are all like, they're all tripping in the desert. Yeah. Like, I think part of that scene was a little longer. Yeah. (laughs) I will say it'd be interesting. I mean, I know this, this came out, was it 91? 91. 91, and, you know, Oliver Stone was a really hot director then. It would be interesting if this was in the hands of another director, like another director you and I both love. Like, if David Fincher had this, what would he do? Um, he wouldn't do it, number one. <laughs> <laughs> he'd well, probably, he he'd probably be like, what? He did Zodiac, he did which Zodiac. is as close yeah. to a biopic, I guess, that you could get. Um, but yeah. I'd be I'd be curious who who would handle this differently because I mean I feel like there's definitely like an Oliver Stone sheen all over the movie and I don't absolutely. know if it's just absolutely you know because of the time frame or what it is I can't put my finger on it but um, it'd be interesting well, if someone else had directed it how different would it have been well and I don't think it's about just the directing I think it's like you know. If you're looking at a band or one person in that band's life, you know, where it's like it's hard to kind of watch like I I don't know if you've seen this movie, um, but there's a movie called 
closer and it's about it's about Ian Curtis and Joy Division. No, I haven't seen it. And it's directed by Anton Corbin and it's all black and white and it's about it's mainly about Ian Curtis who had epilepsy and eventually um committed suicide. Okay. So and that's pretty much how the movie ends. So I'm not ruining anything cuz you could look this yeah, up. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, um the feeling maybe that you have watching this movie is probably similar to the feeling I have watching that movie where it's like, it's a great movie. I love the music. It's like, it's well acted, but like you just kind of, you're just depressed at the end and there's no redemption because other than the fact that like the music lives on and like maybe the band plays on and you know, people might would be inspired by it and regardless of how tragic their life ended you get to make it what it is for you Mm -hmm. at that point and kind of you know for us we didn't live when the doors were around no so it's going to hit you and I differently than it would someone who was around at that time. Like I can't imagine like mom or dad liking this movie primarily because it'd be like, Oh, you mean that drunken buffoon that used to like, they would or would not. They would not. I don't no. think they would. They wouldn't so, have any patience I mean, for it. No. And they already, li- and they live through it. Yeah. So we wouldn't care. Um, I just wanted to, uh, mention a couple other things. You had uh, just based on some stuff that you had said, um, you made the comment about Val Kilmer and like growing his hair out and what would he be like? <laughs> um, uh, sadly, Val Kilmer um, had cancer. Yeah. And now cannot talk. Like he has like a, I think he oh. has like a trach tube and oh. he can barely talk. He's not in great health, but he is around and he base and he basically runs like I saw, I read an article about him that he did a, and like within like the last year or two where he runs like kind of like an art house kind of place where mm. he, he finds artists and it's got like a gallery and stuff like that. Now with COVID, who knows how it's doing now, but he, he is very, he he enjoys his craft. He tries. He really commits to it. But he's been a poet. He's written stuff, and he's he's creative. I guess he does like these collages now and everything. So, you know, he might not be a singer, but he is definitely. I think he can probably connected to Jim as an artist. Yeah. So that's kind of we did the. The other thing I wanted to mention, which um, has very little to do with the movie The Doors, but a lot with the band The Doors, is also around the similar time, we were watching endless amounts of Kids in the Hall. Yes. And (laughs) probably one of our favorite, my favorite Kids in the Hall sketches has to do with The Doors. Um, Anyone out there... Google or just go to YouTube and look for kids in the hall doors, the doors or doors fan. And there is one of the greatest sketches of, you know, sketch comedy sketches about being a doors fan. And they, they and um, I highly recommend it's that. Very funny. Um, and, and being doors fans, like this comes up like every once in a while, whenever it's kids in the hall or anything doors related, we always just think about this. And, um, 
just remember, and and one of my favorite lines from that sketch, which is where I fell victim to, and and Nancy did too. We admitted it. We had greatest hits albums. Is one of the characters goes, so should I start with the greatest hits album? And this guy at the in the record store goes, greatest hits albums are for are for grandmothers and little girls. <laughs> and I, I just I love that line. Awesome. So apparently apparently they were for eleven year old boys too. Yeah. But um, um, anyway, I do want to mention one one little detail I noticed. Um, I used to have problems with this artist, but I eventually got over it, and I can appreciate what he does now. But there are Mondrian doors in the doors. Early, like early on when they're just starting to like form their band and they're like in that, it looks like a patio kind of studio. And I think it's when Robbie presents Light My Fire as lyrics. In, oh, in the background in the there's background, Mondrian doors? There are oh. the, the doors that go out to go outside have this like, they're like stained glass and they have like a mm-hmm. Mondrian kind of print. Yeah. The doors are Mondrian doors. Well, thank you. I'm glad that you mentioned that because you reminded me of my favorite scene. My other favorite scene in this movie is when they are big and they go to New York to play Ed Sullivan. They meet they go to the factory and meet Andy Warhol portrayed beautifully by Crispin Glover. So good. And that whole scene is great because Jim hooks up with Nico the whole background music in that scene is the Velvet Underground playing. Yeah. And you, I mean, it's literally like two or three minutes of screen time, if that, of Crispin Glover playing a wonderful Andy Warhol. And he hands Jim this golden telephone, and his lines basically are, "Um, I got this phone. I think Edie, Edie gave it to me, meaning... Uh, I believe Edie Sedgwick and she's told me um, if I had this phone I could talk to God but I didn't have anything to say so I figured I'd give it to you so you could talk to God yeah and that whole scene is great and then the next scene you see is drunk ass Jim stumbling through an alley with Nico while Pam is with some French guy who she eventually hooks up with and Jim cans the phone to a homeless man yeah. and says, hey, you can talk to God with this. Here you go. And he just gives it away. Was that supposed to also be Truman Capote at the, at the party that kept bugging him? Andy's ready for you. Andy wants to see you. Or was that supposed to be someone else? Because I was trying to look I think up. that was someone else. Okay. I think that was, like, his, like, as an assistant oh, or something. Okay. I don't think Truman Capote had any interaction with okay. Andy Warhol. Um, but um, he had, like, a he had like a whole collective of people. And then yeah. that's also where you meet um, Michael Madsen's character. Yeah. Um, who was a, in Andy's, um, Andy Warhol's movies, the character that he played. And um, after that, you also get... Um, Another performance that we get introduced to um, by Billy Idol as Cat, <laughs> <laughs> who is basically like a like a roadie kind of guy with them. And supposedly and throughout the movie, he's on crutches or has a cane. And um, in Billy Idol's real life, um, supposedly he was supposed to have a much bigger role in this movie. And I'm thinking they they had to have thought like they might have him play Jim. So because he could sing mm. But 
he got in a really bad motorcycle accident, like shattered his leg, so he couldn't do the movie, and that's why he's on crutches in the movie. Gotcha. So, but uh, yeah, interesting cast of characters in this, and um, but uh, yeah, this is, I like I said, I'm glad I, I I've I probably watched this movie, it, maybe not beginning to end like a year or two ago mm. like it was on and i started watching it and again like just because i like the music so much you could watch this movie and get like tons of the music just to kind of feel like you're just to listen to the music mm-hmm. um so but uh i think that is a good time to segue into our next movie because my opinion is because of the music in this next movie, it has a similar feel to like you're watching almost like a music video because there's tons of music by one particular group in it. And um, this next movie is called The Graduate. And uh, I think we're going to have some words about this. Maybe not arguing, but opinions. So tell us about The Graduate, Nancy. All right. So The Graduate stars... Dustin Hoffman, Anne Bancroft, and Catherine Ross. And Mike Nichols directed it, and it came out in 1967. Won, best direct, won the Oscar for Best Director, was nominated for everything else. And, you know, it is about Benjamin Braddock, Dustin Hoffman, who's just graduated college. He was a a superstar in college, you know, head of the track team, you know, editor of the paper, do, just really. Do they ever say what he, what his major was? No. And they never say where he went to school either. Just that it was somewhere back yeah. East, but he's come home and he's really depressed. He's, he's like in this paralyzing depression because he doesn't know what the hell to do with his life. And He's very, he's got a shyness about him and his parents have kind of foisted like all of their friends on him. Like the the movie opens and they're throwing him like a graduation party. And I love the camera angles of like, it gets so up close, like in his face and then in all these like older adults faces as they're trying to like greet him. And you can just feel the anxiety, you know, all over him because of how they're filming this. And as he's kind of trying to avoid the party or just kind of walking through the house, you know, also to note, um, he grew up very affluent. Like, his parents are very, very affluent. They live in Southern California. Like, they have this really nice pool. Like, he, he's, he's a very white, privileged man. Um, <laughs> and, and, but the expectations are very, very high for him. And he's freaking out. Like, one adult, one adult has said to him, you know, well, how's, how's everything going? He goes, well, you know, Mr. So-and-so, I'm, I'm really concerned, you know, I don't know what to do with my future. And the adult says, Benjamin, I have one word for you. Plastics. And he's like, <laughs> plastics? He's like, plastics. There's a great future in plastics. And it's like, okay. So he's freaking out. And I have to tell you, like, I completely get this. Like, I totally understand, like, just the fear of, like, what are you supposed to do? So, like, I identified with him because of this. But as he's, like, meandering through the house and just trying to avoid everybody, Anne Bancroft notices him. And she 
basically hunts him down in his bedroom and makes him very uncomfortable, but convinces him, can you drive me home? And he's like, okay, Mrs. Robinson, all right. So (laughs) you then get to see one of the strongest female characters I've ever seen in any movie. I mean, especially in terms of like a, the male female dynamics. I mean, I've never, I don't think I've ever seen another movie where the woman is like this bossy and this like in charge of everything. But she, you know, brings him home, you know, has him drive her home. And at every little beat, like, he's waiting for her to just, like, get out of the car and go. And she won't. He's like, oh, okay, I guess I gotta, like, open her door. Oh, Benjamin, can you, like, walk me up to my door? Um, okay. Can you let me inside? And just one thing after another. She's just manipulating him over and over and over again. Okay, what do you want to drink? He's like, uh, I need to go. Uh, no, 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 you need to wait. And... It, you know, it then immediately gets to the, oh, you're trying to seduce me. And, you know, his his total awkwardness and his just complete, you know, him not knowing what to do with this older woman who, in her deceptive but fairly direct way, is trying to let him know, by the way, I'm available for you, you know, I'm attracted to you, and him not knowing what to do with it. But he's also, like, so easy to be he's so vulnerable you know to be manipulated because he's so messed up so they begin a love affair well maybe not a love affair um an affair affair because it doesn't sound like they really talk it's all physical it's all physical physical. they don't really talk about much they just kind of have this physical thing and he's just kind of floating around and drifting through the summer and even though everybody you know, like Mr. Robinson saying, you know, sow some wild oats, have a nice summer, have fun. You're young. You're only young once. You'll never be young again. Um, his dad gets mad at him. Dude, you've been loafing around all summer. It's like, I figured you'd need three weeks. And, and you know, there's some major disconnection. And then, and then eventually Benjamin's getting peer pressure from his parents and Mr. Robinson to um, meet up with the young Miss Robinson, Elaine, and Mrs. Robinson, I believe mostly out of jealousy. Um, I don't think there's any other way to interpret it. Forbids Benjamin from going out with her daughter. Um, Can you think of any other reason, Matt? Yeah, I think uh, besides the jealousy, I think she liked the arrangement that they had. Well, that's she what I mean. Wanted to end exactly. She she. It wasn't that she was jealous in the fact that he. It it really meant like if he starts seeing someone else, that her 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 power it, and her her significance is gone. Yeah. And she doesn't want that. Plus, it's her daughter. <laughs> yeah. So it, it, I think that she didn't want to. She didn't want that to ever happen for the potential of it ever hurting her feelings or, yeah. you know, anything like that. But yeah, so I, I don't I, I also don't think that she she might not have thought it through that far. I think it was pure. I think she the the thing that I feel that they had in common was that they were both unhappy. Like yes. she was unhappy and stressed out because he didn't know what what direction his life was going to be in. And he felt all this pressure she was just unhappy in her marriage. She yeah. was unhappy because of her relationship with her husband and her daughter was growing up and getting older yeah. and she was just not feeling attractive and, you know, not feeling 
significant and wanted some excitement. So she just so does that. So just to get everyone else up up to speed with Elaine, he takes her out like because he's his, he's been twi- forced to, but he's a complete asshole to her. Like he takes her, he's just horrible to her. He takes her to like a strip club where a woman with tassels on her boobs is like flinging them around, and he's like, "Can you do that? Um, why aren't you watching that the show?" Hilarious. And then when when he finally looks at her face and sees that she's crying because she's so humiliated being there, he like wakes up and realizes, "Oh my god!" And then it's like he's finally got someone he can actually have a conversation with and connect to, and they have a really great rest of their date, and he wants to see her again. Blah blah blah. So Mrs. Robinson's pissed off. And Elaine eventually goes back to school. Oh, only after it gets, you know, Benjamin reveals to Elaine about this affair with the mom. But Benjamin realizes, holy shit. Like, I love her. Like, I know what I need to do with my life now. I want to marry Elaine. So then there's this whole going up to Berkeley adventure and stalking Elaine, really, for a good portion of the movie. And then... Elaine kind of buys into it. She's finally, like, on board with it. and But, you know, it, it just kind of goes on. But the bigger things I wanted to talk about are that I feel like Benjamin Braddock is a lot like Lloyd Dobler in that if Lloyd Dobler was worried about his future, the one scene in Say Anything when he's being pestered about what are you going to do with your life, what are you going to do with your future, he and Benjamin Braddock have this, such a similar kind of answer. Like, I don't know. I don't know what I want to do. Stop bugging me. Like, I'm freaking out about it. And both of them are ultimately like, I just want to spend time with your daughter. I mean, like, there's yeah. just this kind of urgency that both of them have about just wanting to be with the girl that they've fallen in love with and when I watched it tonight and thought about those two parallels I was so excited I was like you know because <laughs> I love saying anything and I actually feel like re-watching it, I was thinking Cameron Crowe had to have been influenced by this movie when he wrote say anything I mean obviously obviously starting the starting point has nothing to do with having an affair with an older woman. There's none of that in saying anything, but just the kind of a, someone who has zero to a man who has no direction in his life, just deciding that his love for a woman is going to be what can drive him and keep him going and makes him happy. And I don't know. I love this movie. I was giggling through a lot of it. I love Dustin Hoffman in this movie. I feel his delivery. He's so deadpan. It's just so freaking perfect. And and I just, I love it. And I, I'll just tell you one more thing. I discovered this movie while I was at Berkeley. I had not seen it mm-hmm. until I was a student at Berkeley. So just knowing that, you know, about... You were Elaine? No, I, I wasn't Elaine. <laughs> but just knowing that, you know, a good half hour of the movie is set where I went to school and where our dad went yeah. to school. Is, there's a nost- kind of a built-in nostalgia. Plus... I love Simon and Garfunkel and just kind of like the doors Simon and Garfunkel is like throughout this entire movie so it's really easy to kind of fall into this like Simon and Garfunkel phase while you're watching the movie and anyways I I just think it's fantastic I love his incredible giant gesture at the end you know to go get her and you know Elaine knows how to scream 
that girl knows how to scream. She screams in Berkeley and she screams at the end. But we've talked probably I've probably brought it up like five or six times on the podcast how something either reminds me of the graduate we know specifically like in Wayne's world it totally riffs off of um the wedding scene yeah but had you seen it before yes I had seen it all the way through one other time Mm -hmm. and like bits and pieces a couple other times the first half of the movie which is basically him having his relationship with Mrs. Robinson Mm Once it happens, it's kind of repetitive and boring, like watching the two of them. And I'm just kind of like, okay, yep. Are they going to get caught? No, they're not going to get caught. What are they doing? They're going to the hotel, blah, blah, blah. Mr. Gladstone. Yeah, Mr. Gladstone. (laughs) How everyone at the hotel knows him. (laughs) Um, But this movie really doesn't pick up, in my opinion, until he meets Elaine. Yeah. And they they have their date. And after that, it's a lot more... There's a lot more to it. He has um, purpose at I that think, point. Well, and I think the beginning, I, I think the like the first half of the movie is trying to establish where he's at. Mm-hmm. He's he's not happy. At least he's not showing any happiness. Mm-hmm. He has he's not feeling he's got all this pressure. He's not feeling you know motivated in any particular direction. And, um, you know, part of that, I think, is on purpose. Be, like they don't want they want you to feel almost just as lost as he does because Mm -hmm. they don't, they, because if they give up like what school he went to or what his major is, people wouldn't buy into his depression. They'd be like, um, dude, you majored in this, go do this. And you're from a a wealthy family. Like you have a ton of options. Like everyone's asking him, are you going to go to graduate school? I think I can't, I couldn't really tell, but I don't know if like his parents, his dad was a lawyer and Mr. Robinson was a lawyer. Cause I kept talking about, I think it was business. I want to say I want to say it was business, like maybe business, like could have been accounting. It could have been any kind of business, whatever. But um, he had a lot of options. If you if you if you but if you knew too much about what he was just coming from, other than what his family life was like, Mm -hmm. I think as a viewer, it could potentially be like almost annoying. Yeah. Why are you why are you wasting this? Right. Or why are you so unhappy? You have yeah. all this stuff, you know? Yeah. But that's not what it's about. It's about the fact that he's bored, I think, and and he hasn't had a lot of experience with women, so <laughs> he has this opportunity, and everyone's kind of telling it, you know, Mr. Robinson's basically telling him, have fun for a little bit. Well, Thanks a lot, sir, for the for, for the open invitation to, and he has probably. Ne- I want to say that he's probably never had the attention of a woman the way Mrs. Robinson was giving him attention. So you don't think he'd had sex, or just that he didn't have that kind of? They kind of imply that he had never had sex. Oh, she straight up teases him about it because and she so kind of teases him about slow. it. But I mean, he's so but he doesn't he, bangs he doesn't his head admit it. The wall. But he doesn't admit it. He just kind of impl- so maybe maybe he had a bad experience. So think, we'll just maybe, maybe we'll leave it at that. I think inadequate anyway, inadequate was the word she used. Inadequate. Right. Right. And um, so he kind of runs with this opportunity. Yeah. And and it goes probably too far. I mean, he, I mean, 
I, here's the thing is I think that it's very easy to kind of say Mrs. Robinson is like a villain in this. No. And I don't want and I wouldn't say she's a villain Mm-mm. because she was unhappy. She saw an opportunity. She took it. He was 20 years old. 21 in a week is what the way it comes mm-hmm. out. of. So, yes, he is young, but he can make his own decisions. And when he should have known immediately, like, you are a family friend. You've seen me in my diaper. Yeah. M- maybe for my parents' relationship with you's sake, maybe this is a bad idea. <laughs> but that's where she knew that he was a perfect target because he was so vulnerable and so unhappy. Like, right. To, right. To give him any kind of sense of this is something you can do. I mean, Matt, you say he, he knows he can make his own decisions. He was forced to show off his scuba outfit in front of a party of strain of people that he did not want to do. He right. kept saying to his dad, dad, can we talk about this? Dad, please. Yeah. You know, but yeah. he, I think he was probably always just pushed and pushed and pushed and never really had to make a lot of decisions on his own. So right. to have yet another bossy adult just kind of, lure him into this dark. And I don't want to make it sound like she's a predator by any means, because that's not what it is. She, no. she, I mean, he was of age. He made the decision. I mean, he went to the hotel and called her up, and she was there in an hour. Um, you know, but I mean, she had to literally walk him through step by step to yeah. make it happen. <clears throat> and those, I think, are the some of the greatest comedic parts for me is just how... The awkwardness? Yes, I think it's hilarious. I mean, normally that can make me feel bad, you know, like watching someone feel so awkward in situations, but, I mean, again, like he does it so well and he's so funny. I mean, later, you're talking about earlier, but later in the movie when he finally catches up to Elaine on the bus and she says, I'm going to the zoo. Oh, we're going to the zoo. I've never been there. I think I'm going to go there too. And then he just keeps following her around. And then when they finally meet up with a guy and he's like, Oh, we thought we were going to meet you at the monkey house. Like just his kind of just very straight delivery. Love it. I just, this movie cracks me up. Okay. So do (laughs) do you see any of the Lloyd Dobler stuff that I was suggesting? Oh, only the fact that the parallel being when Lloyd had the moment at the mall mm-hmm. that we don't see in Say Anything. Correct. When he had that moment, and then that's when he decided, like, she's the one, even though I, they hadn't even gone on a date. They just had a moment at the mall. Um, the The parallel being that and when he finally goes on the date and then sees how upset she is and realizes she has a brain and he and more in common, you know, he's found kind of his soulmate. And then that becomes the, the driving force that moves the, the rest of the movie along. I see that parallel. Um, Matt, and, the and, final scene of both movies are oh, them, yeah, the two of them sitting on public transportation. Just a shot of the two of them as like yeah. the plane's about to go or the bus is driving mm-hmm. off. And it's kind of like, now what? Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, it is very, it is. A, I'd never made that parallel or that, that connection to it. 
Um, but I haven't. I think you've probably seen this movie a lot, uh, a little more. I've probably than seen I have. it maybe five or six times. Yeah, I've seen it twice. Twice, twice. Yeah. Now. Um, and most, I, I think that part of the reason why I'd only seen it twice is like the first time I watched it. I don't know. I guess I just like maybe I just wasn't in the right mood to watch it. But I never. I was, was just kind of like, eh, it's good. Yeah. Everyone says it's good. I guess I should think it's good and well, it's good well, that and that's that it's a and then rewatching comedy, it so and then and then re, and then rewatching and then rewatching it i was kind of like there's funny parts to it and whatnot i mean and and again i enjoyed the i enjoy seeing like like when they like when he's in berkeley and you see moe's across the street mm-hmm. i was like man i've been there so many times yeah. and i'm like i don't know what restaurant that was that he was in but that restaurant is not there anymore <laughs> i think it's like where it's probably near, zebra yeah it's, it's probably it's, it's like zebra. near where like amoeba is um moe's was across the street from amoeba mm-hmm. but down the street like amoeba's on the corner mm-hmm. and then Mo, but moe's is not there anymore Mm. i don't think so yeah but anyway i think the other thing about this movie and you touched on this too is i saw wayne's world 2 before Mm. i saw this movie so ruined it so (laughs) so i knew all this stuff and i was like oh this is where wayne's world 2 got it from that's funny because <laughs> they and they hit it like on the yeah. beat like yeah. the 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 spoof of it in wayne's world 2 is like beat by yeah. beat from him running out of gas yeah. to going to the gas station for to it being an, on allen street and all this kind of stuff i mean but no is, charlton heston but no charlton heston but beat by beat it yeah. is the same so i and and i guess in some ways like in a similar way to the Doors movie, I never saw what Elaine saw in him. Like it's I never, kind, it's they, kind they, of confusing they don't to me show, too. They don't show like the like they have that first date right, and he he totally makes her cry and screws her up, and then they have like this nice conversation. But then after that, like, the, she's even like, she's even like, I don't know if I would marry you. And it's like, why would you marry him? You barely know him. Well, actually, <laughs> that's not true because they did grow up together. They've known each other their whole lives. And that's what we don't really see. But they don't even like act like that, though. It does, I mean, like it, it it's is, hard to buy it. Yeah, I, I, it's hard to I buy agree. It. Like, how did she all of a sudden like fall in love with him? It's, like at least it's a little it, unbelievable. If, you, if you're comparing it to say anything, mm-hmm. like at least in say anything from the very beginning of the movie, you know what that what's going to happen. Like you and the whole movie, he, Lloyd does romantic things for Diane. You know, uh, they they have a whole summer basically where they they have this romantic love affair, right? Whereas in this movie, it's you have half of a movie of them getting to. Now you do make an excellent point that. They did grow up together, yeah. but we don't see that. Like, yeah. we don't know how much they grew up together. Like, maybe they only saw each other at parties. We don't know how if they were taking baths together as babies. We don't know. <laughs> you know, they were it, it, it's hard to tell how close they were. And and so when she's in Berkeley and she's met Carl Smith, yeah. is that his name? And she's like he's asked her to marry him and they've kind of gone on some dates, but they don't establish the relationship enough with Ben to be like, 
I understand him being infatuated with her. Yeah. But why did was she so infatuated? And she even says to him, like, at one point in one of their arguments when he's living in the house in Berkeley and stalking her, like, one of the things she says to him is, like, you need to figure it out. Like, you need to figure out your life yeah. and get some direction. And yeah. then once you have a plan, let me know. Yeah. You know? And, and he still never even shares that with her. Yeah. But at the end, she leaves Carl at the altar and runs away with Ben, and they're all doing their silent son of a bitches. <laughs> and it's like... Silent son of a bitches. <laughs> and, then, and then they're on the bus, and like... And, and I'll make this and, and now since you brought it up, I'm going to we're going to go down this road. So at the end of this movie, mm-hmm. they're on the bus mm-hmm. and they kind of look happy, but then they don't really look that happy. And then Ben kind of has a smile on his face, but she almost looks like, what the fuck did I just do? Yeah. And and that same look is on the faces of Lloyd and Diane when they're on that plane and they don't know where the, and, and it's kind of like, all right, we're doing this. Oh boy. Ugh, we're doing this. I'm telling you, they did not stay together <laughs> in London. They did not. And, and we don't know what, I mean, we don't know if Ben and Elaine eventually got married. I mean, their families were friends and then they hated each other. And then they have to deal with this whole mother-in-law. I fucked your mom kind of thing later, yeah. you know, and you know, all that kind of stuff. The- and I'm telling you this, that the, they, there's probably not a good sequel to this movie. So, so I wanted to point out that, um, the reason why I think both Ben and Elaine were jumping to the idea that they could get married, putting it into context of it being the late 60s, even though like the 60s was like free love, this and that, I think within like their more affluent group of people, maybe you're going to get married. You're, you got to be married by 25. Like maybe there yeah. there no, was I, an expectation, so it was almost like you, you're not going to spend twenty years on a quest trying to find your true right. love. It maybe, I mean, and not to say it's like an arranged marriage by any means, but just it's you find one that's good enough and you marry him, or you find one well, that's you, got potential for success, you just lock them down. So maybe that's why she was open to the idea. I don't know. You make an excellent point, though, because <laughs> thanks in 1960. In, no, but in 1967, mm-hmm. you know, you've kind of you've got the kind of beginnings of the sexual revolution mm-hmm. and the idea of women getting to make a lot more of their own choices. And, you know, maybe she was also in a point where it's like, I'm going to Berkeley. I'm going to finish school. I guess I'm going to expect to get married. Maybe that's not what I want. And, and you know, here she is with this guy. Carl, who, you know, I love how I love how when Ben is going to try and figure out where she's at, how when he goes to his frat, all of them have this idea like, oh, it's a shotgun wedding. Like they have to get wet married because she's knocked up. Right. When ultimately I think it is she has to get married because they want to make sure she doesn't run off with Ben. Yeah. Yeah. So. They get that all arranged. But anyway, you know, based on that, it's like she, too, is not feeling in control of her life. And at that point, she's like, I am making this choice. Now, again, is she making the choice that will be like the best thing for her? 
you know, is Ben the one? There was never a sequel. No, so who knows? there's never a sequel again. But but she's she, this is something that she is doing. It you know, in spite of her parents and any choices that they may have made for her, you know, she is making that decision. So this this movie is based on a book that was written in 1963. So that's even before a lot of like the sexual revolution even started. So keep in mind, like people from like society were probably expected to get married and to marry people also within the society, you know, like. Oh, yeah. So I think it was just going to be laid out that she was going to have to marry someone that either was already successful or like well on their way to being very successful. So we have that, we have that proof watching, you know, seven or was it seven seasons of Mad Men? I mean, think of, yeah, think of Betty in, in Mad Men or, um, any of the, the women in that, in, on that show and what the expectations that they have. Yeah. So, so I'm, I'm less worried about her, um, her rushing to the decision to want to get married to to Ben, even though he seemed nuts. <laughs> I I just I just feel like the relation like they don't establish the relationship enough for her to justify running off with him. Other than person, other than personal reasons of the situation I'm in does not feel right. I'm not happy with my mom because of the, what she did to Ben. I'm not happy with my dad because maybe he drove her to being that way because their relationship sucks. Yeah. So I just I just want to get away from this situation. And, you know, Ben, Ben at that time, because of his devotion to her, for whatever reason it is, because we don't really know. Other than, other than he's infatuated that, with her. And, and they had, a, like, what a, we saw. all their years growing up together that we don't right. know. Right. Right. Other than that, you know, it was a good it was a good I'm not going to say out. It was a, it was an option. Yeah. It was an option and and she took it. And good for her. I mean, and and I you make an ex, and you made a good point when you Thanks. introduced the movie where <laughs> where um Anne Bancroft's character is probably one of the strongest women you've seen on screen. She's fantastic. I mean, I mean and you know, when we talk I mean, again, you know, when we talked about Working Girl, another Mike Nichols movie mm-hmm. where strong female characters, you know, Elaine kind of Elaine is, too. I mean, yeah. she really she's not just, you know, like a puppy dog, like, Mm-mm. oh, Ben, Mm-mm. you know, make your choice. You know, it's not like that. Nope. She's just like, hey, I'm going back to Berkeley. I'm going to see this other guy. Yeah, you're following. Me. I'm not going to tell you what to do, but you got to get your shit together. Yeah, you know if you want this to, you want to have a future. Yeah, and you know she she's not dicking around. Yeah. So, I mean, so who's your yeah. favorite character? Elaine. Elaine. Yeah. <laughs> Elaine, because because Ben kind of annoys me sometimes. Oh really? It's like awkwardness. Like it's funny, but it gets. I, I, that that whole like awkwardness funniness is not that gets old on me real quick. Mm, mm. So while you were giggling throughout like the first half of the movie and all that and you know and all of that I just I it gets so old mm. for me and may and at least now it does and and I don't know if how there's another movie that we're gonna talk about in the coming months probably 
that kind of reminds me of this movie hmm. that has this whole relationship between a younger man and an older woman. But it's it's a different movie, but has a similar feel as um, Rushmore. Mm-hmm. And in that movie, you have, you know, high school kid going after a teacher, you know, who's older. But it's the other way around where he's pursuing her. Mm-hmm. And um, lots of similar lots of music from a similar time frame. Yeah. So it has a similar vibe, yeah. not the same plot or anything like that. But um I was thinking of that movie a lot. Okay. When, I'm glad that you pointed that out. I'll, I'll, I'll keep that in mind when I'm watching that eventually. But um, I thought you were going to say Harold and Maude. I'm like, that's a much bigger age difference. Mm, yes. <laughs> much different movie, too. But, that, but, um, but yeah, so Elaine's my favorite character. I think that it, like, I feel for her in that scene when he takes her to, the, to see the, um, the cabaret show. Yeah. And, and there are other women there. Like, if you look in the background, yeah. there are other women that are not part of the show yeah. that are there. But he clearly, like, was trying to sabotage that date because Mrs. Robinson said, you cannot go out with her. And then when he saw that she, like, had feelings and he hurt her feelings and, you know, he... It snapped he out tells the, he, he Well, he tells the go-go dancer, like, cut it out, you yeah. know... And they run out, and then she's crying, and he he apologizes and everything. You know, I don't. I'm and I'm glad that it didn't. I'm glad they didn't Costanza this movie. They didn't Costanza it where he tried to lie his way out of like trying to cover up his affair with the with the mom. He straight up tells her, like you know that woman I was telling you about that who I had the affair with. You know, and he doesn't actually say it was your mom, but he he, he looks at her and it's like, she yeah, they they figure it out because she's smart, and she goes to Berkeley. Of course, she's smart. There you go. <laughs> yeah, I don't know anyone from Berkeley telling people that it's okay to go to Thanksgiving with the elder with elder people um, because of uh, it might be their last Thanksgiving oh. this year. Oh. But someone from Stanford said that. <laughs> um, I can't des- I can't decide who my favorite character is. I mean, I love Ben, I love Elaine, and I really love Anne Bancroft. And I just feel like the three of them all give such like incredibly strong performances. And again, Anne Bancroft, what she does in this movie is so unique. I mean, again, I've like never really seen a woman take charge like that in a sexual relationship on, on a movie like this. And really, like, it's not like we see any of the sex. I mean, the most we see is him grab no, her boob, it, which apparently, apparently was not in the script or, like, or in the direction. Like, Dustin Hoffman just decided to do that, and he and Mike Nichols just completely died laughing. So for him to stop laughing, that's when he goes over to the wall and starts banging his head against the wall. Like he just kind of like, he <laughs> kind of amazing. Just added that in as it, cause it kind of felt like, well, I guess this is what a boy, like a guy would do. Like now that like boobs are sti- like right there for me. Oh, can I also tell you like how much I love Anne Bancroft's wardrobe in this? Like her wardrobe oh, yeah. is so fantastic. I just, She's that she's late so that stylish. late sixties, that late six like we saw that in the late in the later episodes of Mad Men mm-hmm. too, where that late sixties kind of kind of wardrobe is great. I mean, even his mom, like his yeah. mom has on like this black and white like like 
geometric patterned yeah. print yeah. kind of dress and stuff yeah. like that on. I mean, it was you, it was good. I like I, I like the look of that this yeah. era. Yeah, yeah, it's you, great. You forgot to mention Mr. Roper being a landlord. Was that Mr. Oh, Roper no, or Mr. Furley? No, Mr. Roper. Mr. Furley, I believe, was 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 Don Knotts. Let Let me confirm. Well, it's um, Mr. Roper. It is Mr. Roper. Yeah. It was Mr. and Mrs. Roper. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, well, in that same scene, in in the scene when when she screams and the door opens and he's just like, "I want you out of here." The guy in the background who says, "Hey, should I call the cops?" is Richard Dreyfus. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I'll call the cops. It's like, calm down, dude. Yeah. Yeah. Norman Fell. Norman Fell is is. Mr. Roper. Yeah. And he a very similar character. Yeah, the like, grouchy landlord. The, the, the grouchy landlord, yeah. Mr. Roper, Three's Company, for all of our listeners who don't know who what we're talking about. Yeah, a television show that was even kind of before our time a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> but... Um, I'm not sure about a favorite scene. Um, I mean, I really like the scene when, like in the first... 15 minutes of the movie when she brings him to the house and the whole do you want me to seduce you and just just that whole play and just him kind of unraveling but I really just like so much of this movie start to finish I'm gonna it's put hard to I'm gonna put your purse I'm just gonna put it on the step here <laughs> oh my god I mean just like I'm putting it right Benjamin I am tired of this like she just it's like she was scolding him like he was a little child and he yeah. just kept following along with it it was just like And then for him to eventually go to a hotel and, like, take her up on it. I mean, and then, oh, oh, okay, talking about her being just completely in control of that whole relationship. After, like, once they, when he, when he demands, let's have a conversation. She's like, why? And then that conversation, like, just goes totally south. And she has completely insulted him by saying, you can't be with Elaine. And then he's like, why? You don't think I'm good enough for her? And she's like, yeah. And then he's like, fine. Like, he wants to storm out. She is able to manipulate him into apologizing and saying, this is the only thing I look forward to. I like you. I like you very much. This is all I like to do right now. I mean, she was able to, like, totally turn the tables. I mean, again, not that I would, like, want to, like, hold her up as an example of how people should treat other people, but I just think it's condo- so... You're not condoning... No, um, but I mean, it's uh, so unique. Her behavior. I mean, I'd, I'd want someone else to tell me, like, what other kind of role a, f- a woman has had like that when in control over a man. Like, I mean, and, and I'm not talking, like, like in misery where the woman is like, she's got James Conn laid in a bed where Kathy Bates is like <laughs> holding someone hostage. I don't mean like that. I just mean like, you know, being able to really kind of like, you know, pull the strings and get him to really do what she wants. I mean, it's, it's wild. I mean, but again, I, like I said, this, this movie makes me laugh a lot and, and it's very nostalgic for me. So, yeah. Thank you for playing along. And, and and I feel like they, they make so much sense pairing them together because they're like set at the exact same time. You yeah. Know? And they were both and they were both spoofed by Wayne's World. 
because in oh the same God, Wayne's yeah. World movie, <laughs> in the same Wayne's World movie, we get the whole wedding, chasing wedding scene yeah. from The Graduate, yep. and we get the whole half-naked Indian in the desert yep. scenes, yep. you know. So, Wayne's World 2, you, you really hit it on this one. Oh, <laughs> going back to the door, there's one thing you never mentioned I was waiting for you to mention, that Jim Morrison is in the 27 Club. Yes. But and at that point, I believe lots of people. At was, that point, I believe both Janis Joplin and Jimi Hendrix had passed away, and then you know, leading up to that, uh, maybe not Jimi Hendrix, but Janis Joplin, I believe, had because someone had mentioned yeah, made reference to it. Yeah, losing Janis. Yeah, but that's a downer note about the movie. Thanks. Sorry. Thanks for oh, bringing me down. And, Thanks. And, and Pam is in the 27 Club, too. I think I looked it up that she was also. Well, she, di- she died three years later, but I don't know what the age was for Pam. Thanks a lot, w- Nancy. Wikipedia said she was 27, so. Okay. Well, now that you've, now that you've totally taken us down a notch. <laughs> Damn. Damn. <laughs> Plastics. Plastics. I, I, I will say, like. As looking at Anne Bancroft in this movie, um, she she was not um, she did not look like he was hooking up with some fifty year old lady. He's a, she's only eight years older than him. In the movie, she's only supposed to be eight no, years no, no. older than in him. In real life, they're only eight years difference. Oh, I'm not talking about that. I'm just mean like if she's supposed to be like. 40 or 50 something and he's you know 20 she you know she doesn't look that way so he so good on him for for um she's a milf is that what you're saying yeah probably that's what i'm saying (laughs) but but i will say this i would definitely choose elaine over and bank uh elaine over mrs robinson though because i i thought elaine was cuter and not as manipulative and a, definitely a better choice. Well, yeah. So, I mean, yeah. Good thing good thing he didn't stick that relationship out. Yeah. He would have he would he would have he would have regretted that a lot. Well, there it was going to go nowhere. There was no there was nowhere for that to go. There, it was it, no. it it began and ended at the Taft Hotel in Mr. Gladstone's room. That's it. There was no, there was <laughs> the whole thing with the names. And then, yeah, when, then was, when Elaine says, well, we so can go good. to the Taft Hotel. There's probably a bar there. And he doesn't even like argue with her. He's like, OK. And no, he says there isn't a bar. No, He's no, like, no, well, we can I mean, check, but I don't think there is. There. One. He could have just said, no, I don't want to go there. Like he could have. He, he just can't stand up like he cannot say no to these Robinson women, these Robinson. women. He can't say no. He can't say no to anybody. Yeah. <laughs> I think the I think the first time he actually does something that he wants to do where he doesn't feel like he's being manipulated is probably when he goes to Berkeley. Like when he, he, when he's just like, when he's like, yeah, we're getting married and his parents are all excited. And he's like, well, she doesn't know. In fact, she doesn't even know I'm going there. (laughs) I decided like two hours ago, I packed my bag. I'm getting my car, man. He puts, he puts a lot of fucking mileage on that car. I know. I mean, the fact that he got all went all the way down to Southern California to be told they're getting married, drove all the way back up to Berkeley to go find Carl Smith at, you know, the fraternity yeah. and then drove all the way back down. I mean, and the freeways were not like they are now. No. I mean, that was a, that was that was that was not a a five hour trip. That was that was an yeah. eight hour tour. Yeah. 
easy. So <sighs> love will well, make you do fun. crazy things, Matt. <clears throat> yeah. Well, this was fun. Yay! Did you have fun, Indy? You watched this with us a little bit, didn't you? But um, so yeah, good times. Well, I want to thank everyone for listening and for following us and staying true to this. And if you're a new listener, thank you for joining us for the first time. Thank you. We, yeah. And um, we will do this again. Soon. Next time. We got we got the holidays coming up. We'll probably, we're going to try and do some happy movies because this holiday is going to be weird. Yep. Everything's so, weird this year. Yeah. So everyone stay safe. Wear your mask. Be careful. Yep. And uh, listen to podcasts. Escape. Escape from reality. Mm. Reality is kind of crazy right now. So, um, again, my name is Matthew. My name is Nancy. This has been Fighting Over the VCR. Thank you very much, everybody. Thank you.